Welcome to Er Garcia, a podcast of work, faith, theology, and economics, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. Hello and welcome to Er Garcia. My name is Brendan Byrne and I have the pleasure of being your host. In this episode we continue our exploration of the book Hard Work Never Killed Anybody, How the Idolization of Work Sustains This Deadly Lie by John Bottomley, published by Morningstar Publishing in 2015. In the last episode, we concluded our exploration of Bottomley's views about the ways in which the prophetic imagination can lead to the integration of the experience of the victims of work-related harm into the healing and transformative possibilities of the biblical witness. In this episode, we examine Bottomley's argument that solidarity and the hope to which it gives rise embodies and makes real God's governance in the world. And so, without any further ado, let us begin Ergasia episode 29, Hard Work Never Killed Anybody, part 10, God's Governance in the Midst of Tough Circumstances. When Bottomley and his colleagues re-examined the assumptions that undergirded their initial response to those bereaved by work-related death, they realised that they had not only focused narrowly on traumatic incident deaths, but that this focus was itself a product of their own captivity to the idolatry of hard work and the myth of endless economic progress both of which hide the true toll of work-related deaths. The truth, however, was that media focus on traumatic incidents and the reporting of work-related death by state and national occupational health and safety authorities minimised the profound suffering and injustice caused by work-related disease and stress. This compounded the harm done to the bereaved families, The non-reporting of their loved ones' deaths effectively sent a message that their life and death were meaningless. The confusing and painful experience of being forgotten by authorities and the world produces its own psychological and emotional trauma, including a sense of hopelessness or unresolved anger, and often leading to suicidal or other self-harmful ideation. In such debilitating and dehumanizing circumstances, where is God's word of hope to be found? The same question confronted the prophet Isaiah, who spoke to the people of Israel in the midst of their traumatic exile in Babylon. In chapter 41 of the book of Isaiah, 
the prophet speaks into the painful realities of Israel's captivity and the sense of lostness and hopelessness to which it has given rise. But toward the end of that chapter, the prophetic imagination depicts a legal contest between Yahweh and the Babylonian gods, in which the God of Israel challenges their power to keep the chosen people captive. Thus it is that even in the midst of their oppression, the people of Israel hear God's voice ridiculing the might of imperial power. This turns into a voice of judgment in which God declares that a people from the north, the Persians, will overthrow the Babylonians and bring them down in their arrogance. Thus the apparent power of the Babylonian gods is merely a delusion, an idol whose emptiness is concealed by a terrifying visage. This same defiance of imperial power was apparent to Bottomley in the letter written to a doctor by a mother whose son's experience of workplace bullying resulted in severe mental illness and ultimately his death by suicide. The doctor, whose untrue and unfair judgments about her son were signs of a captivity to an unjust system that dehumanized those it purported to support, knew nothing of her family's love for her son. In facing the agent of an imperial power whose rushed and poorly considered judgments had contributed to tragedy, the mother had given voice to the divine word of hope that defies and reduces apparently absolute oppressive power. This is the same prophetic word that reveals that power's lack of substance and which calls it to account on behalf of the suffering. This is the same word that declares the idolatry of hard work morally and spiritually bankrupt. It is also God's word to a nation that continues to mouth the mantra that sacrifices the lives of working people every year to the idol of hard work. The idol which appears all-powerful is empty, a delusion that destroys life. Our ongoing belief in the idol's promises bear only the bitter fruits of death, injury, injustice, and suffering. The experience of Bottomley and his colleagues in pastorally companioning those harmed by work opened them to all the ways in which the idolatry of hard work kills people, enabling them to hear the cries of all those harmed by work-related injustice. In particular, the insidious effects of work-related disease, such as asbestosis, and stress, which contributes to heart disease, suicide, and mental illness, were made clear. Thus they came to realize that the true rate of work-related death was four times that reported by official statistics and media. This realization, in turn, help them to reconfigure their understanding of God's concern for the world of work. This contrasts with occupational health and safety theory and practice, which assumes the essential benignness of our beliefs about work, even as it tries to reduce the risk factors that cause injury and disease at work. The pastoral encounters of Bottomley and his colleagues, however, reveals that this assumption is deeply flawed, 
precisely because it is our very beliefs about hard work as the key to salvation and a good life that is the hidden lie that contributes to the ongoing unnecessary sacrifice of working people's lives. For Bottomley, this truth came home in a deeply personal form when his wife's stepfather died from asbestos-caused mesothelioma. A few months before he died, he asked Bottomley to preside at his funeral, a moment of deeply privileged trust. Speaking subsequently about his experience, Bottomley recalled that his wife's stepfather had loved his work, yet his work had killed him. Despite the enormous satisfaction he had derived from his work, that work had taken his life because it was not safe. Yet he had believed fully in the value and virtue of hard work as means for providing for his family and improving their lives. Yet that belief was founded on a lie, a lie that masked the unsafe nature of his work and which unseen introduced the shadow of death into his existence. This experience likewise revealed to Bottomley another dimension of the lie hidden within the idolatry of hard work. It doesn't fill the gulf of loss and grief. We often use work and the satisfaction we derive from solving a problem or completing a project to distract ourselves from our sadness and pain. But this distraction can't prevent our feelings from bubbling to the surface, often in unhealthy ways. We get angry and impatient with others. We experience continual headaches or bouts of illness. We suffer through disrupted sleep or binge on comfort food. But hard work cannot mend a heart broken by grief or comfort a soul burdened by sorrow. It can only contribute to the work we use to distract ourselves being unsafe. Bottomley argues that work-related death has the power to not only shatter your view of yourself, but also everything that you believed in, precisely because our beliefs about work are so central to our own beliefs about ourselves. When we come to understand through tragedy that work and our beliefs about work deal death, they also deal a death blow to our self-understanding. The lie we see in the idolatry of hard work suggests that everything about ourselves is also a lie. We believe the lie, therefore are we not a lie ourselves? The consequences can range from a breakdown in family relationships to the loss of friends and disillusionment with society, government, the justice system, and life itself. We no longer trust institutions that once seemed so important and can lose our faith in God or even the meaningfulness of our own lives. The challenge for the church, especially in light of its effective abandonment of the world of work, is to grasp this truth, a truth that is engraved on the hearts of countless thousands of people bereaved by work-related death. The challenge is to confront the lie that the idol of hard work has the power to save us from anxiety, loneliness and fear, 
and to replace it with the simple truth that God has created us to value life and love above all else. For bottomly meeting this challenge would enable the church to embody God's intention for humankind through pastoral care for those harmed by work, enabling the church, in the words of Isaiah, to be a light to the nations. But this would require the church to hold before the nations God's truth about solidarity, humanity and community, in contradistinction to the false promises of economic ideology, political convenience and commercial self-interest. God in Christ equips the church to speak truth to power through solidarity with the community of the bereaved and in reverent memory of those who have been lost to the idol's insatiable appetite for human life. Yet the church's failure to meet this challenge and stand in solidarity with the suffering perhaps stems from the church's failure to understand the economic roots of such issues as family violence. Drawing on the work of theologian James Pauling, who argues that the church's failure to respond to family violence stems in part from its failure to appreciate the macroeconomic currents that form the economic conditions of people's lives, Bottomley suggests that the church needs to adopt a multidisciplinary approach to pastoral care that is able to integrate the insights of social science with theological reflection, public worship and personal prayer that are able to inform a prophetic response to work-related death and grief. For Bottomley, this reality was borne out when he read a letter written by a union official that was published in the Age newspaper. In this letter, the official drew attention to those workers whose experience of work-related harm had driven them to suicide, but who were rarely, if ever, spoken about as the victims of modernity's construction of work and economy. This silence stemmed from the fact that suicide itself was seen as an act of weakness rather than the tragic consequence of an abusive system. This failure to examine the systemic roots of work-related harm was likewise experienced by workers pursuing claims for stress-related illnesses that were a direct product of their working conditions. The system of workers' compensation largely rejected their claims subjecting them to further silencing and isolation. The experiences of this union official resonated with the results of research conducted by Bottomley and his colleagues into the personal and social costs of the corporatization of the former Melbourne Water Board. The research was sparked by the suicides of three Melbourne Water Board employees at least one of whom was deemed by the County Court of Victoria to have arisen as a consequence of stresses that were placed on a vulnerable employee. Likewise, Bottomley and his colleagues had conducted a health and well-being program at a Victorian university following the suicide of a senior manager, who had left a note blaming work stress for his decision to take his own life. These events convinced Bottomley 
that what was missing was the translation of pastoral need into social policy responses that took seriously the work-related factors in suicide. But this leaves open the question of how such a response could incorporate the fact that the world of waged labour, the premier manifestation of modernity's cultural narrative of salvation, is in fact responsible for worker self-harm and death. This question became all the more urgent for Bottomley and his colleagues when they realised that many of the factors that contribute to work-related suicide were in fact already dealt with by occupational health and safety policies, a reality that demonstrated their already established recognition as sources of illness, injury and death. However, the rationality of OHS policy and practice disconnected the system from the lived reality of the workers it was meant to protect, thus resulting in these factors passing unrecognised as causes of worker suicide. The attempt to universally address risk was unable to measure the debilitating weight of an individual worker's shame or despair, leading to a blindness among OHS practitioners that is itself emblematic of the idol's power to hide its own culpability for the conditions that contribute to suicide among employees. This power resides in the fact that many of these factors are considered part of the normality that make up the cultural, economic, social, political and interpersonal structures of modernity. Thus taken for granted, they are hidden from public notice, a blindness facilitated by the taboo that regards suicide as an act of weakness. Thus the power of the idolatry of hard work silences those harmed by modernity's construction of work and economy, leaving it free to continue to destroy human life without lament, protest or scrutiny. However, by focusing on the struggling humanity of all those who have died from work-related causes and facilitating their remembrance by family and colleagues, Bottomley and his colleagues have sought to place the value of human life at the heart of a renewed work ethic. In doing so, they have sought to unmask the self-serving idolatries that lie at the heart of modern attitudes to work. Those who lose a loved one to work-related causes are torn by the experience of injustice, seemingly caught between the realm of eternity and the mundane realities of the everyday world. But it is in this tearing that a new awareness of life that holds death in its embrace is born. God's whispered grace touches the hearts of the bereaved, uniting eternity and the everyday in a manner that lays the foundations for resistance to the idolatry of hard work. When the idol of hard work loses its power over the bereaved, they come to understand that the mantra, time is money, is simply the chant of the powers that be. But time will never be the same for the bereaved families of those lost to the idolatry of work. 
through the solidarity of love, they are called into a community of resistance that lives with one foot planted firmly in the realm of God's eternal love, and the other foot grounded in a desire for justice in the world. The new horizons opened up by this reality has informed the work of Bottomley and his colleagues as they seek to enact God's mission in the world and give witness to the fact that God's justice has broken open the taboos of work and suicide. Modern Australia has many gods. Some enslave its citizens to greed, others to workaholism. The gods of wealth and success and status seduce and entrap many, robbing them of life and spirit. The idols of competition and efficiency drive others into mental illness and stress-related ill health. The fear of death and of angering the idol enables the very source of our enslavement to hide within bureaucracies and the legalistic bulwark of policies and procedures. Australians encounter these soul-destroying gods on a daily basis, experiencing the way they drain life and spirit away from their families, workplaces and communities. But the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures announced God's governance over human affairs, and in the life, death and resurrection of Christ, God declares that idols once and for all time defeat. Every work-related death brings a suffering and grief that deepens the crisis at the heart of our structures and beliefs about work. In modernity, we are invited to put our trust in the myth that life's meaning and purpose resides in the hard work of our own efforts. But God, through Christ and in the agency of the Holy Spirit, invites us to put our trust in the goodness of the one who created the world, brought forth human life, and gifted it with purpose and meaning found in relationships of justice and love. Work has its place in God's governance of human life. It is part of the fullness of what it means to be human. But by being only a part of that fullness and not its totality, not its centre and purpose for being, we find the counter to the idolatrous belief that human life exists for the sake of hard work. Toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the Hebrew people are given a stark choice between life and death and are urged to choose life. In Australia today, we are urged to put our trust in the mantra that hard work never killed anyone. But this is a mantra and an investment in faith that leads to death and which continues to cost countless human lives every day. And here we conclude this episode of Ergasia. In the next episode, we will come at last to the end of our exploration of hard work never killed anybody by going back to the beginning, to the introduction of this text 
and its setting out of the reasons why the realm of work is a reality in human life that the church has sadly abandoned and why it must change course if it is to realize God's ancient covenantal promise to the world. In the meantime, to leave your thoughts about this podcast or to offer any suggestions or ideas for future subjects, please go to the webpage at www.ergasia.podbean.com or go to the podcast pages on Facebook and Twitter. I hope to have the pleasure of your company for the next episode. I am your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Ergasia, a podcast of faith, work, theology and economics, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.